0: This morning I am uh, continuing in my sermon series through the book of Acts. As you can see, this morning we're going to be reading a long passage. So far, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, he has ascended to heaven. He has sent His Holy Spirit on Pentecost to be the presence of God inside of His believers, uh, inside, inside of His disciples. And three thousand people come to faith that day. The church grows from one hundred twenty to three thousand one hundred twenty as Peter preaches to the gathered crowd there uh, at the Festival of Pentecost. And then they form this community that we looked at last week that is sharing and and caring for each other uh, and just growing day by day. It's incredible. And so this morning, I'm going to read this long passage that has a lot to tell us just about the courage and boldness that is brought into these early disciples by the Holy Spirit. And so for anyone who is feeling fearful, anyone who is in need of courage or boldness this morning, I want to encourage you this morning. This is for you. Acts 3, one to 4.31. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at them, and as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He, has re- he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you From your wicked ways. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, You and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man before you stands healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let him go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. I love that line. He's so old. On their release... On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand against, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is God's word. Let me pray before we continue. Lord, we do pray that the same would happen here. Fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that we might be sent out in courage and boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I had to summarize the main themes of this passage, I think it would be boldness and courage. These two lines, these two verses in particular, stand out to me. That when they're before the religious leaders, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So they see the courage of these men. They contrast how bold and courageous they are with how they're not schooled. They haven't been raised by any rabbis here. And they take note that they've been with Jesus. Something has happened to these men. And then as they pray at the end, they say, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So, again, if you find yourself this morning in need of boldness, in need of courage, for whatever is coming your way, I just pray that you would receive this word from the Lord today. Remember what happened when Jesus was arrested like 50 days ago? He was arrested, and all of his disciples fled in panic. They hid. Peter, who was the boldest of all the disciples, When asked, hey, weren't you with that Jesus guy, what happened? Three times he denied knowing him. I don't know what you're talking about. I wasn't with this guy. They were cowards. And then Jesus rises from the dead. He sends his Holy Spirit to be inside of them. And now filled with the Spirit, these cowards have been transformed into fearless, courageous, bold people. And this verse in particular has been standing out to me. From 2 Timothy 1.7, and I want to encourage, again, this morning, you to reflect on this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. This is the spirit that we're talking about here. This is the Holy Spirit that God has given to us. It's not a spirit of timidity, of fear. It's a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That's what I think the Holy Spirit wants to do in us today. And there's four places in particular in this passage I just want to highlight where I see boldness and courage on display. The first is this, they proclaim that Jesus has miraculously risen from the dead. I mean, that's why it says that the religious leaders wanted to put an end to it, because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. There's something about that that they were like, no, we're not going there. Again, I've covered this in past sermons over the last month. I'm not going to get into too much detail about why this was so bold and courageous of them to proclaim. But he's, again, saying something that flies in the face of reason. He says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. This is the game of telephone that over centuries, they start to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They're saying, no, we're witnesses of this, that Jesus was dead, he was in the tomb, and now he's risen again. And so we are bold and courageous to tell everyone what has happened, because this is a miracle, what God has done, raising Jesus from the dead. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again in case you missed it, that Sometimes you look back with what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, thinking, oh, back then they were unscientific, and they they could believe that someone would rise from the dead. But that's just not true, okay? 2,000 years ago, people knew what we knew today, that people don't generally rise from the dead, right? When they're dead, they stay dead. They don't come out of the grave. And back in those days, the Jews did not believe that anyone would rise from the dead. They believed at the end of history there would be a general resurrection of the dead, but no one in the middle of history would rise from the dead. The Greeks and the Romans who were also listening, they believed that the body was fallen, was sinful, was evil, that the whole point of death was to escape the body, the physical body, to be an immaterial soul. So for them to have an idea of coming back to life in a resurrected body was nothing that they saw as a good thing, nothing they wanted. And so for them to proclaim the resurrection of the dead, the Jews would not have believed it. The Greeks and the Romans, they wouldn't have believed it. But it was true. They came to faith because it was true. Because Jesus had risen from the dead. It took boldness for them to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead, to put their lives on the line. And it takes the same kind of boldness today, 2,000 years later. It takes boldness to believe in the supernatural, to proclaim that you believe there's more than just the scientific material world, right? to proclaim that you believe in the Bible, you believe in a God, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, it takes boldness, it takes courage. Because there will be many people who will see you as naive and unsophisticated and uneducated when you believe things like that. It takes much less boldness if you're just going to say, you know what, I believe in a religion that's all about just doing good works. You know, religion is about trying to live a good life and fight for the oppressed and fight for justice. That's the kind of religion that most people can say, yeah, that's a good thing. We'll get on board with that. But that's not the heart of what Christianity is about. This is the gospel, the good news, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. It says, Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which means died. And then he appeared to James and all to to all the apostles. And then last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. So he's saying, listen, this is the central gospel good news message. It's not live a good life, do good things, fight for justice. The central message he says is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. He says, by this gospel you are saved. You're saved from your sin. You're saved from death. You're saved from hell. You're not saved by the good works you do. You're saved by trusting in Jesus, he says. That's the message that transformed the world. Not a message of, hey, go out there and be a good person. It's the message that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. How else do you explain the transformation in these men? That they went from cowards to people who were unafraid to put their lives on the line, and all of them died for their faith, transforming the world in the process. How else do you explain why these people came to worship a crucified criminal as Lord, How else do you explain how this tiny little sect of Judaism became the largest religion in the world? All over the world. How else do you explain it? Jesus rose from the dead. It's the first place we see courage and boldness on display, proclaiming the supernatural, that Jesus rose from the dead. The second place is this, that they confront people with their sin and call them to repentance. In Peter's sermon, he says this to the crowd, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Again, this is boldness, right? Because the whole crowd could just rush at him and put him to death for what he's accusing them of. But then he continues and he says, Now, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. That's bold. Again, you are responsible for the death of Jesus, the Messiah. The Christ, the one sent by God. So what do you have to do? He says, repent. Turn from your sins to faith in Jesus. Because he died for you. The whole purpose of his death was to pay the penalty for your sins. So then the religious leaders arrest him. And he's standing before them. And they're saying, stop it. Knock it off. No more preaching in the name of Jesus. And he says this to them. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed, he is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Again, it is much safer to hold to a religion that says, just be a good person. You know? It's much more difficult to proclaim a message like this that says, You're a A sinner separated from a holy God, that we have all rebelled against God. We all fall short of his holy standard, and we cannot save ourselves by our own good works. But that God has made a way for us to be right with him through Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection. And when we repent, turn from our sin, put our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven. All of our sins, past, present, and future, are gone, and we are restored to a right relationship with God. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. But it takes boldness because it means breaking through our well, wonderful self-esteem that, you know, lifts us up as the most special people on the face of the planet, right? We're not quite as special as we think we are. That when we are honest about what's inside of us and we face what's inside of us, we see that there's a lot more evil and wickedness in there than we dare to admit. We're not as easy to live with as we might think we are. That if people really knew what was going on in our heads and our hearts, they'd probably run screaming from us. We don't want to be that honest about ourselves because we're afraid of what that means. But in Christ, we can come honest and we can just admit all of that and he's forgiven us. And he died for all of that. The call is to repent to turn from sin to faith in Jesus, to receive forgiveness and eternal life. And just in case you think Peter's the only one who said that, this is Jesus when he first burst on the scene in Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, turn around, stop going the direction you're going and turn to God. And this is how John puts it. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's so much easier to leave off that repent part. Just preach a message that says, God loves every one of you. Just believe in him. But he says, no, in order to believe in him, you need to turn from your sin and self-centeredness. You need to confess that. You need to face the evil inside of you, the depth of your sin. Admit it to God. Ask him to forgive you. And he says, when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. Will forgive us your, his, our, he will forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Truth is that you're so sinful that nothing less than the death of the son of God would save you. But you're so loved that he willingly gave his life for you. You have to hold both of those things because it just brings such a humility, a humble confidence when you know those two things. I, I didn't save myself. It's not because I'm smarter than anyone else. not because I'm better than anyone else. It's only because he died for me. That's humbling. But he willingly did it for me. While I was his enemy, he died for me. That gives me confidence. That gives me courage. So the first place we see bold courage on display is that they proclaim Jesus rose from the dead. They believe the supernatural is true. Secondly, they confront people with their sin and call them to repentance. And then thirdly, they declare that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Chapter 4, verse 12, they say this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now that's awkward, right? That's... That's a difficult thing to say today, as it was back then, to proclaim this, that there's no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved, by which men and women can come to a relationship with God. Again, if the fundamental problem with the world is just you're a bad person, you need to become a good person, then follow any religion, follow any path. There's many paths out there that teach ethical behavior. But if the fundamental problem is that we're sinners separated from a holy God and there's nothing we can do on our own to bridge that gap, then the only answer given is Jesus, who lived the perfect life we could not live and died on the the cross in our place to bridge that gap, to make a way. No other path, no other amount of good works is going to bridge that gap. So it's not going to matter if you follow to the best of your ability the Ten Commandments or the Five Pillars of Islam or the Eightfold Path of Buddhism or any other man-made way to God. You can't save yourself. Jesus is the only way. Second Corinthians five seventeen to 21 reminds us, again, it's about our sins separating us. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of Reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's be be reconciled to God. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's he saying the problem is here? It's our sin that has separated us, but God made him who had no sin, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, to be sin for us, to take our place on the cross, that we might receive his righteousness, be made right with God. And this is how Jesus put it in John three sixteen to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. These are the words of Jesus, not my words. And so, again, I know that in today's world, just as it was 2,000 years ago, to proclaim that there is one way to God is very offensive. And here's Jesus saying, I'm the only way to God. And if you do not believe in me, if you reject me, he says, you stand condemned already because you haven't believed in me. So again, if if you take offense at this message, don't take it up with me. I'm just the messenger here, right? I'm just proclaiming to you what Jesus said. Investigate for yourself what Jesus said before you just take offense and reject it. Jesus said this, in case you forgot, in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I know many of you have heard the sayings like, yeah, there's many paths up the mountain, right? There's many ways to God. There's a Hindu proverb that goes like this. There are hundreds of paths up the mountain, all leading to the same place, so it doesn't matter which path you take. The only person wasting time is the one who runs around the mountain telling everyone that his or her path is wrong. Right? I mean, that's the spirit of this time. You read that, you're like, yeah, right? You know, come on. There's lots of ways there. Knock it off with this whole there's one path to God. This is how Kevin DeYoung put it. Christian, Pather, and author. He said, All paths lead to God, but only one path will present you before God without fault and with great joy. Pick a path, any path, it will take you to God. Trust me, you will stand before Him one day. You will meet your Maker. You will see the face of Christ. There are many ways up the mountain, but only one will result in life instead of destruction. What does this mean for sincere people of other religions around the world? In the end, I'm not the judge. I will leave that up to God. God knows how to sort all of that out. But listen to what Peter said in verse 17 of of chapter 3. He said, I know before you acted in ignorance, but now ignorance is no excuse because you know. Repent and turn to Jesus. So this takes courage. took courage and boldness 2,000 years ago. It takes courage and boldness today to believe in the supernatural, To confront people with sin and call them to repentance instead of saying, hey, just everyone be a good person, you know, live a good life. It takes boldness and courage to repeat what Jesus said, that he's the only way to God. Because the problem is not that we're not good people. The problem is that we have a sin problem that has separated us from God, and Jesus is the only solution to that problem. The last place that we see bold courage on display is looking at how they pray and evangelize, how they share their faith boldly. The chapter begins with this crippled man It says, And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I don't know if you've ever prayed for healing for someone. It takes boldness to to pray for that. Right? I remember when I was younger in my faith, and I was listening to an evangelist speaking about how he had gone and healed someone's healed someone. He was incredible just sharing this. And I was so encouraged. And so I went that night, and I had a friend who was complaining of migraine headaches, and I said, I was never filled with as much boldness as I was on that day. And I prayed in faith for her to be healed, and she was not healed. And I felt, you know, a little foolish after that. But, again, I would rather continue to pray in boldness for people for their healing than to just say, well, I guess I should never do that again because I don't want to look foolish. No, let's continue to pray boldly and encourage asking God to heal, trusting that if he chooses not to, he chooses not to, and he's got something better in mind. But I want to pray boldly. And then, look what happens after the religious leaders take them before them. They say, no more of this. No more talking in the name of Jesus. And they send them out, and they go back together. And what do they pray? Look how bold this prayer is. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Just think about that line that I highlighted there. They have been told, do not preach anymore in the name of Jesus. I mean it, right? Or bad things are going to happen to you. And what's their response? They go back and they pray and they say, God, they, didn't, they don't say, you know, take away the opposition. They don't say, you know, stop the persecution. No more of this. What do they say instead? Help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous. Help us to continue to walk in faith despite the opposition, despite the persecution, despite the troubles and challenges and suffering. I mean, they, they know it's, it's not going to go away. The opposition's not going to go away. The persecution's not going to go away. But we need your help to be bold. We need your help to be faithful. We need your help to be courageous. Think about your circumstances in your life. How often do you pray for God to change the circumstances Versus how often you pray for God to help you to walk in faithfulness, to walk in courage, to walk in boldness, regardless of what happens in your circumstances. Yes, we can pray for circumstances to change. Lord, please heal this disease. Lord, please restore my marriage. Lord, please make this a better situation at work, whatever it might be. But Lord, whatever happens, Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to be courageous. Help me to be bold. Help me to keep on serving you, even if people hate me, even if people come against me, even if there's persecution, even if I keep suffering, even if the illness doesn't go away, even if my situation does not turn around, Lord. Help me to be bold and courageous and faithful. And it says the place they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) What, What does that tell you? It tells me that is a prayer that God honors, that he's looking for men and women who are not going to shrink back from opposition and suffering and persecution and say, well, I better stop because people are mad at me. No, God, fill me with your spirit of boldness, of courage, of faithfulness to not shrink back in fear because others come against me. Remember, God, Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That's a promise. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You're not going to escape the suffering. You're not going to escape the opposition and the persecution and the difficulties and all of that. Yes, you keep praying for healing. Yes, you keep praying for the miracles. And sometimes God answers them. But if he does not, it's not shrink back in fear but Lord, fill me with your spirit of courage and boldness and faithfulness. I love what happens when the religious leaders tell them, no more, knock it off, don't talk anymore in the name of Jesus. What do they say? Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Again, this is 2,000 years ago, but... Nothing has changed, right, in 2,000 years. Being a follower of Jesus today is going to take courage, and probably in an increasing amount it's going to take courage to say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in what the Bible teaches. It is going to take courage. You are going to face opposition. You are going to suffer. People are not going to like you. Someday, maybe you will be thrown in jail for that. Who knows where things are heading? You may get canceled. You may get smeared. You may get slandered. All kinds of things may come against you because of your faith. Take heart in what the disciples said and the boldness and the courage here. When they were told, no more of this, no more of this speaking up in Jesus' name, you're a troublemaker. They said, judge for yourselves. Is it right for us to obey you or to obey God? We're going to obey God, and whatever the consequences are, they are. And what happened? It says another 2,000 came to faith that day. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word in boldness. And you know what? Eventually they were killed for their faith. Eventually they were. Peter, John, the rest of them. They were killed for their faith. There wasn't escaping that. They didn't die happy lives, you know, in old age. They were killed for their faith eventually. It takes courage. It takes boldness to face whatever is coming your way and not shrink back, not give in to the pressures. This last line that I want to share here again, Acts 4.13, when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It's an encouraging verse for all of you who are unschooled, ordinary men and women. Peter and John weren't some superheroes, some super people of the faith. They were fishermen filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed by the power of God, Change the world. Courageous and bold in the face of opposition. May this be true of us. That when people see your courage and your boldness, they take note. That you've been with Jesus. That it doesn't line up, you know? It's not that this is just, you're just a brave person in your flesh and in your natural state. Many of us are full of fear. I know I am full of fear and anxiety. And I'm asking this morning that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit, that I would be bold and I would be courageous in the face of opposition, in the face of suffering, in the face of the difficulties that come my way.